This podcast is part of the Frederick Podcast Network. Learn more at listenfrederick.com. Welcome to season three of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve. The biggest, most fun podcast in the galaxy. This is the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, season three. Welcome to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm Brian Donahue, along with our hosts, Adina, Chris and Steve, I'd like to wish you happy day. Tonight is a special evening for us as we have a very special and fascinating guest we can't wait for you to meet. Before I introduce this talented guest, however, I would be remiss without thanking friend of the podcast, Dr. Trek himself, Larry Namachek, who told me that I should introduce myself to our guests for the evening. I was on my way to GalaxyCon in Columbus, Ohio. We were having Larry on the show and he suggested that I meet the very talented and beautiful Laura Banks. He mentioned that she was a part of a little film we all know and love. I think it's called something like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. You guys heard of this? Yeah. I never watched it in my life. I don't know every line of dialogue. Definitely not. Oh, my God. Chris can quote that movie chapter and verse, I think. Sequel. Uh, He also mentioned that she's an author with a fantastic book coming out soon called The Wrath of Blonde. We'll talk about that, of course. And I'd like to introduce our listening audience with uh, an excerpt from her own website that reads... Laura Banks is a triple threat to herself and others as a comedy writer. I love that line. That's a fantastic That's line. Brilliant. <laughs> Stand up and a four-time author mm. with the USA Today bestseller, Breaking the Rules, selling a quarter of a million copies. Wow. Laura got her first acting break Ooh. in the before-mentioned film, The Wrath of Khan. TV appearances as an author personality include ABC World News, Sci-Fi Prime, Netflix, Comedy Central, USA Today, Fox News, and something to see. Good day, LA. Good new. Good day, New York. TYRA, VH1, and the Rosie O'Donnell Show. Let me breathe for a second. That's impressive. There's so much more, but ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Laura Banks. Thanks for being on the show, Laura. Woo-hoo. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, and so <laughs> modest too. Well, it was it was really cool meeting you at GalaxyCon, and um, what was cool about it was number one, just being able to drop Larry's name, so that there was some, <laughs> you know, because um, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, and yeah. then to meet you, and you're just so down to earth, and just like. You know, you're just nice and lovely. Well, and I'm a Midwesterner. You know, Midwesterners you are traditionally not only nice but funny. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know Dave Letterman and yeah Carson. Some of your better comics are from there, and it, I think good comedy is kind of coming from a real place and down to earth like that. But thank you, Brian. I I, I found you to be down to earth as well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> Oh, he is. He is actually. Are you oh, in man. Yes, I am in. I am in my basement office. This is the only place in the house my wife lets me hang up okay. stuff like this. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Every you know everything else is all like really nice decorate. You know, this is my <laughs> space here, so I get to keep this. I've actually got a funny story about the Shatner painting behind me. Uh, if I can do that real quick, is my oh, yeah. sister got that for me for Christmas. Years ago, mm-hmm. it's at, he actually painted by a local artist here in the Canton, Ohio area. And I was living in Utah at the time, so I had to travel with it back to Utah, um, which was very is a very good conversation starter in the airport and on the plane because I was holding it like it was my baby child or something. And uh, the only place in the house, though, my wife mm-hmm. would let me hang it as she walked through the house, not there, not there, was in our bedroom right next to the bathroom because now I wanted to put it, I wanted to put it over the bed, but she's like, no way we're putting that over the bed. If you know what I mean? So, uh, so, so we put it in the next to the bedroom and the reason she wanted it in the bedroom, because you know, when we bought the house, you know, you show people your house and sometimes take guests if they're the first time through your house and people are very interested in that thing. And we would rarely have our bedroom door open for people to see, you know? And uh, so, but on occasion, I would sneak that door open and it's not that I would show people our master bedroom, but that picture was visible straight through. And so her friends in particular would occasionally look in there and see Bill Shatner and go, Devin? That's amazing. What? 
And she would explain, it's the only place I had to let him hang it somewhere. It's the only place. So every morning I would wake up and give Bill Shatner an imaginary high five as I went in to do my thing in the morning. So <laughs> it's almost like your version of the leg from a Christmas story. Oh, my. Uh, okay. Now I'm going to have to steal some of that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're the not here to talk leg. about that painting. We might talk about Bill Shatner a little bit, though. I want to but, hear about Bill Shatner. I need to. Laura, I'm re- I love asking people kind of origin questions and okay. how did how did you get started in the a- entertainment industry originally and what inspired you like what made you want to do that? Uh great question, Brian. Uh I have always wanted to be a performer based on my mother's desire to be an actress. So she was an usherette at the Paramount Movie Theater in New York City. And that's as close as she got to uh, oh, wow. anything even remotely related. And ironically, I worked for the same institution, Paramount, 40 years later, but mm. on, you know, mm. on, on the lot. Uh, my father is a rela- relation to the Barrymore family. So it's it's something that I my grandmother told everybody and it's in the family Bible. And I've mm. I haven't actually figured out the exact way it's connected but I, I think she was Adele Drew my grandmother and so whether it's true or not I don't know why my grandmother would tell that story if it wasn't true but anyway right. uh, and Shatner met Drew Barrymore and said wow you guys have such a similar cadence and stuff so between the Barrymore connection and my mother's love of acting you know from high school on I was starring in the high school plays and the college plays and and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, just left Kansas city where I was raised, uh, cause we get, we left New York and went to Kansas city. And, uh, I just always had it as a burning fever inside my mm. soul to give it all up to pursue that. And that's what you have to have. Cause it's just a really crummy way to make a living, uh, uh, not make a living, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for the 3% of screen actors guild that yeah. does make a living. So, you know, it started out with, with that familial ties and then, Ending up in California and in L.A. proper uh, is another whole story. But I ended up moving to San Diego, mm-hmm. knowing no one and five hundred dollars. And the, one of the first people I met was Whoopi Goldberg. Well, wow. I'll be darned. Yeah, I mean, we did improv comedy together. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, there was. There was I think there was an ad for uh, comedy players at this theater, and you know, I was an actress in my early twenties. I thought, oh. So I responded and and there was an improv troupe and there was Whoopi who wasn't Whoopi yet. You know, she was Whoopi, but she wasn't Whoopi Whoopi. And I got into the troupe and we we did comedy together and right. then went up to L.A. together and did comedy up there. And she told me that she says, Laura, you know, because I saw her in a one woman show on Broadway. And she told me the story that I was the first person that she knew in anything big. She was sitting in the audience with her daughter, Alexandria, and her daughter said, Mommy, Mommy, isn't that the girl from your improv group? And and Whoopi was watching Star Trek Two on the big screen. Wow. And, she's, and Whoopi was like, oh, my God, I know her, too. And, you know, <laughs> I just like, really? I thought that was an amazing oh, story. And, of course, she ended up in Star Trek. So I thought, you know, that's because right. of me. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, That's great. I mean, to have to have her daughter look up and recognize you because that's always the big thing when when i was a kid growing up and my my mom's cousin herbie fay was in movies and tv shows and things like that and he'd always say they're <laughs> yeah. herbie they're not going that's sweet you know so i think that's really that's really especially yeah. someone oh, of, of yeah. her caliber very yeah. talented lady too yeah yeah you guys well, have any questions? I don't. I, I've got well, a list of I'm, questions here, but I'm, I'm now dying to talk well, about I, the Wrath of Khan and and how did that how that happen? Sure. You know, how did you get involved? Right in that? How that happened? Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in my new book, The Wrath of Blonde, promoting the way William Shatner would, The Wrath of Blonde, which is now available on Amazon, uh, <laughs> I do go into the fact that I was uh, struggling in L.A. working in a boiler room, making phone calls, fifty calls a day with a script, selling cable packages back in the day oh. and uh read drama log every day which is the casting magazine back then which got bought by backstage west but it was drama log and in the back were classified ads and there was an ad a display ad and it 
basically was me, my measurements, my height, my hair color, everything. So I called Central Casting. I said, hey, guys, this is your, you've, in the, there's no mention of what the movie was in the in the ad. This is me. You've just described me. And he says, get down here. So I went to Central Casting on Sunset and they took a look at me and they said, yep, go to Paramount, go there right now. And, that, and that's, that's how I got the role. Wow. Hmm. So wow. do you remember what it felt like when you got the role, but then you found out, oh, this is Star Trek too. This isn't just oh like a random God. movie. It's Star Trek. It, well, first of all, a girl from Kansas and California who's done nothing, who's back in the boiler room, and my boss from the front of the room says, uh, Lara Banks. He didn't get my name out right. He goes, Lara Banks, you have a phone call up in the front here. Make it quick. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not thinking anything about it. I didn't know whether I got in the role yet or not. And I call and I pick up the phone and they go, yeah, this is central casting. You've, you've been cast. You need in, in a, in a film. They still didn't tell me what it was because everything was so hush. Uh, you report to Paramount pictures tomorrow. Can you quit your job? Can you work for a month? I was like, I think so. <laughs> so I hung up the phone. I was like, and it was like, just seen out of Without knowing. Was crazy movie. I was like, yeah, I quit, you know? Wow. And, uh, and, and then, and then, yeah, then I worked I- for the, for the month on the film. And without knowing what it was and like a month well, of so work is I enough to set. do. Yeah. And I meet Nick Meyer. I take a, you know, I meet Nick uh, before getting cast. I met him as part of the process of going over there the first time and then went back to work mm-hmm. and I called. Uh, it looked kind of funny. I thought it looked very, you know, metal everywhere and bridges. And I was not a fan of Star Trek uh, at the time to, to recognize <laughs> Right. Ah, uh, you answered the question. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Now, I had I seen the bridge, which was not uh, visible to me where I was being walked through the different corridors, I would have recognized the bridge uh, of the Reliant, which was the bridge of the Enterprise mm-hmm. remix and remade and then blown up. Right. Uh, I just, I just thought it was. Mm-hmm. I was so new to movies and I was so scared that I couldn't make sense of what, what it was or what they do in Hollywood. I was just, I was trembling and frightened the entire time. <laughs> There's no way I would have known. Wow. There was a cat that was sort of, I noticed it was a cat that was taking a nap in one of the hallways once. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, I put it together pretty quick that I was in a Star Trek film, especially when, so there was like, maybe 20 of us at the beginning, a bunch of cons, men, right. And women, and we keep getting narrowed down there, fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer of us from the first time you see us all on the, um, uh, set to Alfie five. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so many of them got sent home and, and if you didn't hear your name, you could stay right. And they kept not calling my name and I'm like, Ooh, and me and Nancy (laughs) Rogers are like, okay. And then we did the shot where you first see Mm -hmm. us on the planet. And that was the hardest part. Because the the wardrobe was so heavy, mm. these like rug, I call them the rug. The rug we were the rug people. It was just this <laughs> big thing, and the fans were blowing all this dirt everywhere. And it's my first time in a movie, I'm like, what is going? This is oh, this isn't quite as romantic and fun as I thought it would be so far. <laughs> and made subsequent other movies where I was mm-hmm. sprayed down with fire repellent as opposed to getting a makeup touch up. Um, <laughs> and I was sprayed down with fire repellent on Star Trek too. But then there came the point where they said, all right, Laura Banks, Nick, Nancy Rogers, you're the only two women left. Follow, follow us. So we walked on set and there was the bridge. Mm. And Nancy and I were like, Oh, and then Nick wow. said, you sit here. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting behind the bridge, you know, and I knew <laughs> something cool was going on. You know, I knew something cool was going on and Khan mm-hmm. was right there and, 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 um, uh, Phoenix, right. Mm. Judson Scott and in that show, the Phoenix, I call him the Phoenix. He had that hit show, but Judson mm. Scott, so handsome. So there I was. Yeah. And then I was on the bridge and then that was amazing. Wow. What was it like? Um, like how much interaction wow. did you actually have with Ricardo Montalban? Oh, excuse me, excuse me. I can't, I can't say his name without going Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo, oh, he's, Ricardo he's... Montalban. Ricardo, <laughs> with fine. Yes, yes. So this Uh, I had the honor of meeting Gil Smith, his son-in-law, <laughs> at, at uh, Creation in August of last year. And uh, we did a tribute to Ricardo on stage there for people and showed clips. And I was around him a lot. I mean, you know, how many minutes would you guess Khan was on camera in ST2? Mm. Oh, not not a lot. 
Yeah, it's surprising. Right. Not not as much as you think. Yeah. Well, let me guess and I'll see I'll I'll see who wins. How many? I was gonna say about twenty. Twenty three minutes. Fifteen. I mean, we're all programmed to like. We say should have a, the prices right. Music playing. Right I think now. I'm going to yeah. guess thirty. Oh, uh, Brian ding, ding, wins. Ding, ding. It was eighteen minutes. Yes. Wow. Or, is that right? Or maybe did someone say twenty. That's closer. I don't know. I said wow. like, anyway, that's over though. You can't go over. I said twenty. Oh, okay. so you went I went over. Again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I went over. Price is right then. Yeah. <laughs> Brian wins a Brian wins a set of furniture <laughs> from the Broyhill collection. I like Broyhill. I don't know family. So, yeah, yes. oh, wow. so then, okay, so, so he, he's got 18 minutes of screen time, but mm-hmm. then, like, are you, you guys interacting? So, yeah, so we worked together very, very closely for the entire fight sequences, which many consider to be the best fight sequence of, you know, given the effects and techniques and technologies they had for the time, mm-hmm. still an extraordinary scene. Thank you, James Horner. Thank you, Nick Meyer. Oh, yeah. right. Thank you, Ricardo. Oh, Thank you, me. It was so just good. like mm-hmm. something magical happened, right? And mm-hmm. I like to say we saved the franchise and that I'm partially you responsible did, yeah. for the demise of Spock. Right. You sure did. Um, and so I was with him through uh-huh. the most dramatic, important part of the film every step of the way. Uh, it was amazing to watch him work because in the 50s, he had been thrown off a horse and he had severe low back pain. Hmm. that never ever went away he had multiple surgeries that didn't work and so he would be all hunched over and nick they'd get okay we're gonna you know roll roll sound speed and you know wow carter would sit up and become con and with that presence and as soon as they yell cut you just see him go back and dealing with whatever pain he was oh in i mean it was wow. just that's incredible distant. like ah, uh, yeah because i never heard that before you can't see it on screen at all. He does it perfectly. He gets up, he walks yeah. around, he's confident. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And when you and when 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 he we've been hit, right? And they put the gel substance on his face, which was a very unique makeup technique to the day because we were working on a shoestring, which is why I did not get a credit and I did not get my one-line course plot to intercept Enterprise Ready, sir, which was my line in this in the in it. And Wait, that, that line is in there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You you said I have you hear you hear me in a voiceover say course plot to intercept enterprise right. ready, sir. And that's me. Nope. And oh. and myself and, and Judson um did not get a credit. They had to pay a fine. I was not even in the union, and there were all kinds of problems with it. I saw Nick struggling with um not able to give me that credit. Mm. But uh I don't know where I was going with this, but you know, uh, um yeah. Oh, because of the you said it was a shoestring budget because you're dealing oh, so, with the, right. so the latex or so, the... yeah the 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 gel they they right, they right. Uh, yeah. makeup put together this jelly to make this jiggly jelly like gelatinous kind of substance which came out looking scar. incredible yeah. like burnt flesh that it was shiny wow. and yeah. I mean just incredible and it was all yeah. over the eye. he'd sit for hours in the chair of course early in the morning to get ready and then he would come in and. He was always in character, so it it wasn't like you could chat this guy up, you know. And and, and uh, the scene where we're hit, right? He's got to come around me, and then there's just a shot where he says, "There you are," right? That's like I'm in that shot with him as the two of us. There you are. And then he's got to come around the front, and now he's rolling on the ground with a bad back. They've had to pad the back of the bridge console so he can lean against that and take after take on the floor, oh. leaning against. And uh, I learned so much about discipline and pain management uh, from watching this guy. It was because this role was very important to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, they could not film. Uh, his regret was he wasn't able to work with uh, the crew of the Enterprise more in person. But his Fantasy Island t- taping conflicted with the making of Star Trek, too. Mm. But, yeah, he was always in character on 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 in between takes. And, of course, he had a director's chair that said Ricardo Montalban and I'm 20 something girl from Kansas. I don't know better. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of tired. Oh, there's a chair over there. So I go and I, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm like, Oh, this is a nice chair. <laughs> Great. I'll sit here for a while. And then people are kind of looking at me. No one's saying anything. And Ricardo comes by and he goes, it is fine. You can go ahead and sit there. How is your day going? Aww. You know, <laughs> I never Aww. sat in the chair again, though, because I looked at the back and it said Ricardo classy. on it. And uh, that was a fun uh, 
story to tell how I sat in his chair and we almost died. A light fell out of the sky onto us and missed us by about two feet. Wow, wow, wow. You know, which would have set the movie back a little bit. Yeah. One of the cake likes, one of the big cake likes that. Yeah, that almost just stopped production there. Um, I guess the most memorable moments and thoughts I have about working with him there and that history of that moment, not knowing we were making history. He had the two gloves on at the beginning. And Mm -hmm. I saw him between takes make the choice of taking one of the gloves off. I can't remember if it was right or left. And Nick and Nick Meyer Mm -hmm. and, and Ricardo had an interesting communication and Ricardo welcomed his directing. And apparently in rehearsals, Ricardo was a little over, 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 over it, over the top of it. And Nick kind of gave him some ideas and Ricardo was very grateful, but, but also Ricardo at that point had done a lot more film mm-hmm. work than, than Nick had ever directed. So it was a real give and take. And I felt that it was mm-hmm. a real intuitive relationship. And so mm-hmm. Nicholas watched Ricardo take this one glove off and all the, all the, costume it was just so beautiful it had the silver metal sewed into it and stuff and he takes it off and i saw him like gingerly Mm -hmm. like treat it like a pet i'm thinking hey i'm supposed to be the pet anyway (laughs) so he takes the glove off and he put and i and nick's watching him do this whole thing and 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 ricardo looks at nick and nick looks at him it's just like okay all right you're making that choice now that was a lot of what would happen as they would not even have a lot of dialogue, but they do a lot of eye contacting and looking because I think Nick knew that Ricardo was in character and didn't want to have some stupid dialogue with him. You know, he would just go up to his face and check in and maybe have a, a couldn't mm-hmm. he, we couldn't hear what the directing was. He'd go right over and talk real quietly. And and then I think it was, he just wanted to show his vulnerability. You know, he didn't want to be gloved. He wanted to have that hand a bit, out to oh, express yeah. itself and be yes. real. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, so he thought the, the glove mm-hmm. was the pet. We thought you were the pet. I thought the little creature was the pet. Yeah, like on sets, exactly. <laughs> the earwigs. But I was there for that. That was amazing. You know, they built the six-foot ear to make that whole thing film correctly oh, after. Wow. Um, there's a book coming mm-hmm. out this year that Paramount Pictures published, which isn't easy to say, on the making of Star Trek II. And I am in that. And the wardrobe that they had for me, the first oh, wow. drawings are in that. Cool. And uh, they go into a lot of the making of the film john tenuto who wrote that is a scholar on star trek 2 at a university and so that was a real great thing and they talked about um so many elements but of course you know those earwigs were pretty creepy weren't they yeah yeah they used to freak me out they yeah. definitely gave me some nightmares they still freak people out i think they've left people <laughs> yeah. traumatized to this day yes. yep. i know people yeah. that will mm-hmm. not watch that film because of that they acknowledge the greatness of the film <laughs> but they don't they say I just, I just that, that is they're they're like that is mm-hmm. I think in history a lot of people remember that and just yeah so, exactly. very interesting so did but well we 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 I'm sorry I was going to say we when we had our conversation about Rathacon we brought up the fact that mm-hmm. there is the small creature the earwig and always when we were mm-hmm. kids growing up right, the story right, was right. that they crawled in your ear <laughs> you know so it was so so the mm-hmm. realism in that scene was really yeah. affected people they're like we know what that means we know what that's supposed <laughs> well, to be. And and that scene of course terrifying. took place in the sorry in the trailer that they found us on i call it the uh i call it the um our, 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 i would say set it alfie or it's alpha seti set it alfie five right seti alpha five this is that's our little seti alpha five rv is what i call it and you know there's a little chessboard you never see that they were maybe going to do something with and i played with between takes and i'm sitting up in the bunks and the other actors are and and you know ricardo's over there well i call him like martha stewart tongs you know getting the bug out of the thing you know (laughs) they got kenny like roped to a string i kept looking for in the movie every time i watched when he lifted him up i never did see the string and even in person i could barely see the string but Uh, uh, it was amazing how this one invisible string could lift him off the ground yeah that's so that, that wasn't Ricardo doing that all by himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was Ricardo's real chest. Everybody wants to know was that his oh, real yeah, chest. Oh, yeah, that chest was fantastic. incredible. Nice. So I you weren't know, really a Star know, Trek fan, you know, going into this. But what about coming out of it? Did you become a Star Trek fan eventually or at all? Or Well, when my 
picture was or in was Time Magazine with Ricardo Montalban above Dan Rather, and it made my mother's day. I quickly became a Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized I had okay, done something momentous that I'd made it to Time Magazine and would be immortalized forever. And then I started going to my first conventions and mm-hmm. fell in love with the whole phenomena and the people mm-hmm. and I hosted a cruise ship and I was able to introduce, this is a story. Mm-hmm. Someone said, don't put this in your book. It's awful. But I was hosting a Star Trek cruise. <laughs> yeah. You say, I'm glad you're saving it for the Z-Trek podcast. We was the name of the that. cruise Thank Joe Motes used to promote. And I was hosting and uh, it was a lot of people. And uh, I'm like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is so great. You're all here. And, and Michelle was there and Walter and Jimmy and George. And it was just a, and ladies and gentlemen, we have the honor this evening of having the one, the only, the amazing Gene Roddenberry with us tonight in the audience with his lovely wife, Majel Barrett. Gene, stand up and take a bow. Well, Gene was in a wheelchair. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. No this. one gave me the memo. So right, right. <laughs> everyone's applauding and he pushes Oops. his way and struggles and gets out of that chair because Gene Roddenberry would do that. Mm-hmm. And the crowd went more wild. And I thought I'd healed him or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> and then he was in the elevator with me later. We were leaving and, and we passed each other in the elevator. I couldn't even look at him. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it feels so bad. But that was my one experience, breathing the same air as Gene Roddenberry. Wow. That's a great story. And, did he yeah. say anything about that after? I think he did shoot me a look, as I recall. Okay. <laughs> well, did you ever? Did he ever come on set while you were making Wrath of Khan to, uh, to check on how things were going? I don't remember seeing Gene there. Uh, Joel Gray from Cabaret came by one day. It was extremely oh, okay. close set, but mm-hmm. I don't. See, you know, Gene, I I believe was rather challenged in some of the directions SC two went mm-hmm. from one. Mm-hmm. And was having to be possibly medicated. No, I don't know. You know, but it wasn't the star wasn't the ship anymore. And 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 Nicholas would come on set and just talk out loud to all of us. Oh my gosh, this is the last movie I'm gonna make with a major studio because they kept pressuring him to do it what they wanted. And and he had it was just a struggle to keep his vision. We you know when he rewrote the script in two weeks and and, you know, he really saved the franchise. Uh, and so for whatever reason, no, I didn't see a lot of other celebrities. And, of course, I didn't meet okay. uh, Mr. Shatner until after making um, uh, the film uh, many years. Uh, you know, I saw him, I met him after the fact. Mm-hmm. So before getting to right. that, one more question yeah. I have about Star Trek Two is so while yes. you were filming that, did you know that they were going to planning on killing Spock? Was that known generally around the studio? Around no. Set. no, no. I mean, I certainly wasn't handed a script. Uh, I'm sure Kirsty, who I got to know pretty well, we toured together. She was a great gal, and both from Kansas and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, cast members had scripts; they knew what was going mm-hmm. on. But you know, for the rest of us, no, they didn't say, "Okay, you're killing Spot here when you shoot this missile." Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, they were really good at keeping it hush hush within the community in general, including people that didn't have to know anything. And mm-hmm. had they told me, I would have been like, I think I know who Spock is, but it wouldn't have meant anything to me. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so I think Adina can't wait another second to talk yeah. about Bill Shatner. But you, yeah, like, you, I have I have my picture of him right right my sign picture of him right up there above uh, me. There we go. And there's Majel Barrett on. Oh, I have pointing. Yeah, there's Majel. Oh, okay. So, and there's Jimmy Doohan, and then I've got a whole bunch of others. But yeah, there's there's my we, Shatner picture. <laughs> we. Uh, so tell us about William Shatner. We, I know you've you've publicly, you know, written or talked about it. So, um, what what is fun to share? What do you want to share? Because all all our fans want to know, you share? know about well, what it's like to inquiring minds want to know. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is the most gossipy I think we've ever like gotten ever. into. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think with David Gerald it was pretty gossip. Well, not gossipy, uh, but it got intense. This, this is going to be the most gossipy ever. No. This is good. This is fun. <laughs> okay. Um, and I haven't really had much experience yet in talking about this publicly. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm cutting my teeth here with you good people. Yes. And my book launches in May. And I've got this really hot shot PR firm that's going to get For this everywhere. So. on the book, listen to the big sci-fi yes. podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So in the Wrath of Blonde, I do go in depth about how and when uh, the who, the what, the where, the why, the how 
uh, it was a Star Trek convention. And uh, I guess he saw me on the big screen and uh, wanted to meet me. So uh, Harv Bennett, pretty much, Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I didn't really know who William Shatner was at the time. So anyway, I I was coming off stage and Harv basically took me by the arm and walked me down a hallway and it was a tiny room and opened the door and sort of threw me in and closed the door. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, and so then it was just me and Bill in this really equivalent of like a closet. And then I'm sitting next to him and, you know, I've met Jack Nicholson. I met Warren Beatty. I'm like the Forrest Gump of like, I meet these crazy people. Nicholson tried to date me and I, my mother talked me out of it, but there I was. And men like this, in his prime, there is a presence, there's a magnetism that goes in the room, out the door, out to the whole city, through this around the world and back, right? There's just right. this magnetism. And he's right looking at me, right in my face. He goes, Laura, I go, Bill, I go, Bill, Laura. And so it was an immediate connection. We immediately hit it off. He he's got a wild and wicked sense of humor. And mm-hmm. as a comedian, we just could not stop connecting mm-hmm. and laughing and sharing and talking and i'm like okay well that's fun nice to meet you and he's like well would you like a ride in my limousine back to the hotel you know i'm like sure you know <laughs> i'm no fool right <laughs> so i got a ride and the in the in the limousine and um a limousine which is different than a limousine right right and uh uh you know the evening uh continued and all i gotta say is captain kirk is captain kirk in bed I love I mean, it. Is that's, that good? I don't want to say it otherwise. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's got to go on a T-shirt. Am I, am I the first woman to come out and forward and saying this? How many women has he had? Am I the first? I mean, uh, at least, to, at least to us. Yeah. Okay, you're well. the you're the you 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 would you're the very first on the big side our podcast. podcast. Yep. <laughs> to, well, to tell us about your. <laughs> yeah, I mean, friendship with Bill. Yeah, you know, I mean, and then we were we 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 kind of saw each other for like four four months after that four or five months and i actually stopped seeing him i kind of called it quits because i really didn't see it going anywhere because mm. i i couldn't have been the only girl but he did make me feel special and and we That's were nice. friends as much as anything mm. and I, I can only just speak highly of him because of he was just such a gracious funny kind generous man to me um but you know and it, 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 he is just pure energy adina he is just mm. pure pure he's he's really that guy he's passionate mm. about life and love and mm. sensuality and words and poetry and music and life i mean you know and that it reflects in my book how much i res- respect him in spite of the fact that i was you know 26 years his junior at the time and some might say well did he take advantage you know the whole me too and i i say no i said i chose it i i mm. i you know I, you know, I always make a joke. Well, I won't go there, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm so, so very fortunate to still be his friend. He was on my podcast about a year and a half ago and I interviewed him for about 35 minutes. Oh, wow. He got me on creation. He got me a table there. You know, yeah, he's still looking out for me and, and, and we're still friends. I don't know how he's going to feel after the book comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know? Um, Does he know that you wrote about him in it? Let's put it this way. I haven't put it in front of him. Okay. Um, to approve because that's my right to to write it because mm-hmm. it's what happened. It's your but story, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to tell. And but it's really not a whole lot about him. It's really a lot about the making of the mm-hmm. movie and other movies I've made. Right. But um, it just speaks so highly of him, and it really makes him uh, uh, the captain mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, in, in in real life. He he really, in my mind, really it could have been the only Kirk. Could have been mm-hmm. the only. Could have been. And only choice, really, to be and to create that iconic kind of character because yeah. mm. he is that man in real life. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So I I, I want to say something about that whole concept of dating an older guy, especially when you're you know like in that twenty ish year gap. Because when I was in my twenties, I yeah. tended to dated date some older men too. There's just something, especially at that age, about men in their forties, late forties. That that's just like a that's a great, that's a great age. It takes us that <laughs> yeah, long was, to reach a woman's maturity at 20. It takes a man 40 yes. years to reach that, I think. Something something along <laughs> that. <laughs> Generally, something to look nice. forward to. I'm excited. I agree, but he was in his 50s, actually. Oh, okay, um, but you know, still. Yeah. 
but he didn't look yeah. it. He was William Shatner. Yeah. He, he, you know, he had all that money and he's probably got skincare and God knows. And back mm-hmm. then it was like, yeah, even the hair growth stuff he was doing or whatever, I didn't see anything. I didn't see plugs uh, or anything. You sure. know, it was all like, look pretty, pretty yeah. realistic, you know? And, uh, I didn't, he didn't have seemed to be like an older guy to me. He just seemed highly charismatic and very, very mm-hmm. charming. Right. That, and that, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And so I would say late forties, early fifties is all the same swirl. But it was fun to go yeah. to restaurants with him because all the people in the back kitchen would come out and staring and the whole restaurant was staring and you could feel Captain everybody wanted to come over and <laughs> like, I'm yeah. out with him, you know, and, and they were like wanted to come over, but he would, he had this way of pulling me into talking with me so that, um, Nobody would want to interrupt. There must be a maybe a trick that famous people do where like if they look like I'm whispering and you're in close and I'm in close, they won't come over. And it worked. Nobody came over for an autograph. And, uh, you know, they would say, you know, Bill wasn't nice to some people. I never saw him once be unnice to anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, once I was at his house visiting and I went out the back and my car was parked off property behind a gate and he kind of forgot to tell me that the Dobermans were in the yard. So I got chased down his driveway by a couple oh of Dobermans. <laughs> I was right out of Ghostbusters. I was, so I, I, I was going to say from, from the Simpsons, release the hounds. <laughs> and then sometimes he would be in my little white Dodge cult and he'd be sitting in my little beat up car and we'd stop at a, a light, a red light. And people would look over, they'd see him. He'd go, Hey, how are you? It's like, Oh, I used to get such a kick out of that. Nice. That's great. Oh my goodness. No, he's you know, considering I mean think of it, you know, he was in his fifties when you were dating him. He's in his nineties now. And he still has that remarkable level of energy yeah. that you know I know people mm-hmm. in their forties would be lucky to have in their fifties, and he's just an amazing individual that He's just, he's still, you know, he's so alive mm-hmm. and that's so what I think. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, and I talked about it in just... my podcast and I, you know, what is that? How, what, how do you do it? He said, you just keep everything is at one chapter, the next chapter you keep engaged mm-hmm. in whatever it is that turns you on and you just don't stop. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't, I go to a convention. I'm exhausted. I see him at these conventions because I'm booked into oh. a lot of the same ones he is. He'll go to like three conventions in a weekend. Wow. 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 Yeah. I don't know. Are they giving him oh, I, I, shots? I, Is it cocaine? I don't know. <laughs> well, he's I'll have what he's having. Oh, he's hysterical yeah. on stage. He, really, he, oh, cracks, sure. he can come up with jokes like that. I mean, he is yeah. really fast. Um, yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Now, I, I saw him at one convention, and him and Leonard Nimoy were on stage, and they were kibitzing like a couple old Jews because that's exactly <laughs> what they are. Yeah, and it was hilarious, and they picked on each other and bit on each other, yeah. and it was just great stuff. And he just, you know, yeah, the, I mean, the, the two of them work together really well. But he just has, yeah, hilarious. Man. For example, on my 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 podcast, Your Hidden Power, I said, "Wow!" I said, "You know, we were lovers." Can I say that on this show? He goes, "No," <laughs> and then and then. I go, oh my gosh, you know, I still dream about you. You're the one that got away, and it's true. He gets into my dreams. It's like I think he's doing like shape shifting. And I go, you're the one that got away. And oh, I would love to stay more connected to you or whatever. I was kind of making a play for him or something. And he goes, well, you know, he goes, you know, you leave the plug in the water long enough and the, the shark might come around again or something. If you hear my <laughs> podcast, he sort of says that. I just like, oh my God, it's so funny. He started talking about, you know, history channel, the undiscovered and the unexplained i guess it's mm-hmm. called and the, yeah. and the, and stonehenge mm-hmm. and he's all into the whole phenomenon of mysteries and energies he really is i yeah. mean his mind it just yeah well tell us so that's fine. tell us i'm gonna transition yes. a little bit if that's okay um tell us about yeah. your stand-up comedy and your improvisation mm-hmm. and that stuff is fascinating and i mm-hmm. think i i don't know anybody there might be a few, I guess, but most people love comedy. They love a good stand-up routine because it just it does something to you. It's an art form that that really does transport you, but at the same time brings in reality in real life and makes you laugh at it and take it not so serious when it needs to not be so serious. So tell us how you got well, into that and why. Brian, why I'd love to go there. I'd love to go there, but Adina and I are going to continue to talk about William Shatner. Okay. <laughs> hey, let's do it. I'm good either way. I mean, these guys all have man crushes on him, too. So. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. 
Do I, I like Super Tom? I admire, I admire him. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. I admire them. All right. So, 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 so we, we found challenge a, people. We found the level of the room. We'd all sleep with him. Um, so comedy. Season three shattered yeah. though for me. <laughs> Hopefully my husband is not listening to this. <laughs> I still can't get over that you had his picture in your bedroom. You had a Lothario known for outer space, you know, matings right in your actual bedroom. I don't know how many men would allow that. You know, it's like, put him in the basement. Um, it was better you know. than the garage. I couldn't put Bill in my garage. I, that was the only other option. I needed him. Anyways. Comedy is an element of surprise, right? So what is the definition of comedy? Mm -hmm. It's a juxtaposition of thoughts. So, you know, I, I've been, I'm, I've written four comedy, well, three comedy books and you know it's it's like you have a thought and then you do a jump cut to another thought mm. and it's kind of unexpected and it's a little more than that because to try and find the word that actually has a funny sound to it that relates enough to whatever this thing you just said but doesn't really relate to it at all to where people just mm. literally have to have this expulsion of air in their gut mm. which we used to call the humors or the five humors which was like healing so i've always believed that the actual physical act of laughing is a healing mo modality and uh it's a craft that one learns over many, many years of screwing up, Brian, for lack of a better word. Um, a lot of flop sweat, a lot of mm. missed yeah. opportunities on stage till you try and finally, to where you figure it out. Like Jim Gaffigan and I used to do a lot of open mics. And wow, uh, really? his career's done a little better than mine. Yeah, so it was Gaffigan and me and Sarah Silverman was there. Oh, and um, Sarah Silverman. Actually, Oh, and she was just starting out. She was just a baby and she was taking notes and she was so cute and so shy. And, and, um, comedy has always fed me. I was going so hard. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, you know, since I always love being on stage, I can handle it. It just seemed like the hardest thing to do, which is why I wanted to do it. And so mm -hmm. I finally mm -hmm. passed at the improv in New York and the, uh, comedy cellar in New York city. Those are the two hard clubs to pass at. And I had seven minutes of material, which took me a couple of years to figure out. And uh, mostly I like to riff with the audience. So my my work with Whoopi and the improv, I never really loved delivering jokes, right? Mm -hmm. I loved finding mm -hmm. the moment. And that's another high wire that you walk that's so exhilarating. And when you get in that zone, it's like you're surfing. Like, you know, the audience is with you. Mm -hmm. You're finding the who, what, where. And it's the listening is there between everyone. And it's gone. No one's recorded it. You'll never see it again. And it just poof, beauty. It's just pure, <laughs> pure magic, pure mm -hmm. magic. I, I first discovered a comedy club when I moved to San Diego and I walked in and I didn't know from a comedy club from Kansas City, but I walked into the comedy store of La Jolla and I, all I knew is that I was home. I just went, this is my, wow. this is where wow. I want to be. Mm -hmm. And I decided I was a comic because I've been doing improv and I got up. They let me get up there and I proceeded to flop in front of about 300 people with no act at all, no set. They shouldn't have let me go up there. And it took me 10 years to go back and do it again. Mm, wow. Wow. Yeah. But you did. Have you ever watched The Amazing, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Love it. Lo that is the best show. Do you, do you, do you connect with that? Do you connect Completely, with that? Completely, entirely. Of, of, Maisel. Of yeah. Getting, going up on stage just to vent herself and then. Go from there. Yeah, they, I was. They wanted me to be an extra in that. I don't do extra work anymore. But I, if I'd been in town, I would have done it. I got a call. I just adore that show, mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. the risk taking with that with that that group of writers. But anybody can do comedy. Anybody. I recommend people take an improv class within their local community. It really frees you up for whatever profession mm -hmm. or life situation you're in to realize that it's mm -hmm. all kind of meaningless, and we all just make it up mm -hmm. as we go, and how to live in the moment, and and then. Uh, Stand up, you know, uh, WTF, uh, Mark Marin, right? Mm. Do you guys know who he is? He's sure. got a hit. Yeah, he's, got the, he's got like the number one podcast in all of the world. Mm. And mm. Uh, he and I did stand up together the nights I was there with Brett Butler and Mark Marin. And um, I'm going to call him because I want to get on his podcast. Brett Butler? Like, Brett Butler? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I haven't heard her names for years. Yeah, Brett and I. Grace under fire. Oh, okay, I know who you're talking about now. Yes, okay. that's yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, she's funny. Yeah, she got yeah. blacklisted, and she's been l l lounging somewhere down here in the south because she threw a coke can at a director. Mm. Coke bottle, mm -hmm. something bad. Mm. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. But okay. she got barred. No, I, I, I was I... barred. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. 
Now, I, I, I think that uh, improvisational comedy is the most remarkable comedy. Whose Line Is It Anyway uh, is one of the funniest shows on TV. But I hate to let the world know, you and I are the same age. Okay. I 45, born in 56 right, Steve? As well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, that would make me the oldest person on the show. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay. So you also grew up. You also grew up watching Jonathan Winters. Oh, Winters! Well, who really, really blew my mind was the man who really got blown away by by Mr. Winters, and that was Robin Williams. So, in 1979, yeah. I was chilling in L.A. and dating a comic who was also also a Playgirl centerfold. It's a very funny story. He was very handsome, but a very bad comic. And so we would every <laughs> night be at the comedy store and he was best friends with Robin Williams from came down from the zoo in San Francisco. And I watched Robin mm-hmm. do comedy five nights a week, coked out of his mind until two in the morning doing improv at the mm-hmm. comedy store on sunset. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Talk about funny to you can't breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh my but, God. Uh, no, I, I, I would, when, what, uh, I don't know. It's, this is going back like 36 years ago, but we were shopping in the market and that. there was Jonathan Winters in the market. And my, I said, my wife says, go up and talk to him. I said, no, no, I didn't want to interrupt him. He said, yeah, this is life. But I had to go outside and I met him and I said, Mr. Winters, you're the funniest man on the planet. And he was just so gracious. Oh. He says, I want my daughter to meet the funniest man I ever lived. And, and and because he created, he was such a force in yeah. in in improvisational humor. And then to you know, for Robin Williams, who also adored him, I mean, looked at him like a father figure. Yeah. And so when they got to work there on Mork and Mindy, it was like father and son, and it was great, you know. So uh, to get the fact that you got to see Robin Williams on stage, that mm-hmm. must have night been after crazy. night after night after night. He became a friend of mine. And then Andy Kaufman wanted to wrestle me. And, oh, oh that's my and, God. and, and Robin Andy was Kaufman. saying, I got to do what he's like, Laura, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I and I, always, I was like, well, OK. And I, I was handed some paperwork to sign. And I had just <laughs> yes. show. I, 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 I bowed out. I couldn't do it. They wanted me to do it so bad. But Andy Kaufman is another amazing comedic uh, genius. Oh, mm-hmm. The first time I saw him perform and he started doing the whole little bit where he tells the bad jokes, he's got the little voice and he's starting to bomb and the audience starts to cry and they get sucked into it. And then he goes, well, I'd like to do a little impression of Mr. Elvis Presley. And then he goes into his Elvis Presley impression and you are like, my God, you you have known some of the greats. I have. I, I just lucked out. I, I mean, I, I asked, am. I'm like, I'm going like this. <laughs> you got to read my book. I mean, I asked David Letterman out. Oh, on we will. Day. We'll get. We will. Oh, asked, okay, we got to hear that story. Can we? Can we hear that? How well, that it's a short, sweet little essay. I I was hanging out up front, and Harry Mandel had just kind of walked by, and these were like, I didn't. They mm. weren't famous yet. It was just this the time comedy was mm-hmm. birthing, and maybe a few mm-hmm. years before, but anyway peaking and Dave is standing over there and he just kind of gotten late night and he was hosting in the in the main room original room and he was leaning against the car he was lanky and tall and I thought now there's I I was like a comedy groupie so I I walked over and I'm like well I had a boyfriend but I just love being around comics I went hey hi my name's Laura Banks I'm also from the Midwest can we go on a date <laughs> he looked at me and went well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. And what's your name and where are you from? And it was like I was being interviewed on the talk show. You know, he was his transition was brilliant, you know. And 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 I said, Oh, my name's Laura and I'm from Kansas City. And he goes, Well, thank you very much for your invitation, but I have a lovely lady waiting for me at home. But there's another interesting story about me and William Shatner. Not that I want to go there again. Uh and uh but do, I'm, I'm happy to hear you. Yeah. Yes, all those stories. Yeah, you, you all are. Uh, so we were both discovered by one of the uh, the same same. Um, we were born one day apart. Uh, we were both uh, discovered by Roger Corman. Corman uh, did uh, a lot of indies, very 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 on the fly. He discovered Francis Ford Coppola, um, mm. Ron Howard, uh, De Niro, Barbara Hershey. All these famous people first worked for Corman, and I made wow. I started two pictures: Wheels of Fire and Demon of Paradise. One of the other is on Netflix and Prime or both. You just got to look for him you know, where I lead armies into battle. I only make movies with the word action in them, action, adventure, action, comedy, action. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Bill cut his chops uh, with Big Bertha or Big, oh, I should know the name, but it was with Angie Dickinson, who he also 
Mm. <laughs> enjoy the company of. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was discovered by Corman. I'll be darned. Also. And I think Star Trek II had a lot of elements of humor in it because of the way Nick wrote the script. Mm -hmm. It didn't take itself Mm -hmm. too seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the Mm -hmm. moments you could see the kind of tongue-in-cheek between Spock and Kirk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that really was what made the movie palpable for many. And and, and Shatner, as far as an actor goes, while he's made a fun of, I love, I said to him right on air, I said, what I love about you is that, you know, people criticize your acting and they're kind of laughing at you. And I go, and you turn that around and laughed at yourself. So nobody could laugh at you. You were going to laugh with them when he kid, you know, third I, rock I, from the sun. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I Thank you. That, it, you know, it's funny. You just said that I was going to say third rock from the sun when he played the big giant head that i always think is like the turning point in his career where he said you know something i can i can tell the joke about me first before you tell the joke about me second mm-hmm. and that really turned around him i think that's when he realized that he's a funny I, I think, man i think also like personally if he's also probably one of the i mean he's he's won emmys right boston legal yeah. like he's a really like good actor he's, he's even though that was kind of his persona for a lot of years, I think that he was he was so talented and he kept reinventing himself. Like he is a genius mm-hmm. at reinvention or staying relevant. Maybe that's a better word, staying relevant um, yeah. in what he does. As he has aged, he's embraced it and yeah. he's in mm-hmm. he's embraced roles that allow him to do that and still keep his Shatner-esqueness. But the man won Emmys. For yeah, well, you, yeah. You, I also I think. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go I ahead. mean, when you look back, I was he say, was at. Go ahead, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, like, I think yeah, people always make fun of him in Star Trek, but it's like, yeah, he wasn't always the best in original series TV. But I always thought he did a really good job in the movies, like his oh, yeah. his interactions with David, especially when David dies in um, Search for Spock. It's it's beautiful. I don't think he gets well, enough credit for that. To me, the the reason you know he's a good, the way I for me I define a good actor is when I see them in different roles. Who am who am I seeing? Mm. You know, so when I see Denny Crane, I, I'm watching Denny Crane. I'm watching Denny Crane. Uh, that's he's not Denny Captain Crane. Kirk. Right. Denny Crane, yeah, he's Denny Crane. You know, and when yeah. even before Denny Crane came along, when I'd see him in yeah. interviews, you know, so he's he might be talking about Star Trek. That's William Shatner. That's not Captain yeah. Kirk. And and that to me yeah. is really mm-hmm. what when you if you look at a, an actor and you're like, oh, that's they're their character. That's yeah. okay. They're their character, but no, Shatner is—he's Denny Crane. He's T.G. Hooker. He's, he's Shatner. He's, he's Kirk. You yeah, know? I mean, he—he yeah. he is a crafted actor, which mm-hmm. is probably a better way of saying that. That somehow sounds crass because of all the A sounds, but <laughs> it started uh, back with Shakespeare, William Shakespeare. Right. It sort of sounds like William Shatner, but you know, he was roommates with Christopher Plummer, who had died the year yeah, I was able to interview him, and. And I was like, what was that like? And he goes, oh, you know, well, Christopher was a little bit ahead of me with his career and he was so magnetic and handsome. And I felt like such a, basically he sort of says, I kind of felt like a loser around him. And then they were in a Shakespearean play and, and Bill was the understudy and Christopher couldn't go on. And Bill went on and knew every line and did not drop a beat. And as an actor who I have played many roles and done many characters and memorized many scripts, I don't understand a lick of Shakespeare and I never will. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> you can, and you can go on like that in a heartbeat. You've got a raw talent for a number of things, right. specifically being able to memorize your lines, which mm-hmm. is often a very, very hard thing to do for many actors, which no one talks about, but that's going to limit their talent. Mm-hmm. But Bill must yeah. have had a photographic well, memory even back then um, yeah, to, to, to be so ready to go on when Christopher could not. Yeah, what's amazing to me is a number of Star Trek actors that that really started in theater, theater and Broadway, and and all that. I, I'm, I'm yeah. amazed at how many really came came up from there, and that that might be, you know, right, one of the reasons why um, they're so good. <laughs> there's a great documentary oh, yeah. somewhere along the. I forget where. I don't know if it was Netflix or Amazon, but where it's Christopher Plummer and William Shatner talking back and forth about their early days getting into acting in the Shakespeare stuff. It's worth the watch. It's fascinating. Uh, it isn't I, I'm was that part of the captains? No, was it's they, a separate it's a separate, separate it's a separate, separate one. Okay. Christopher Plummer wasn't seen. in the captains. Yeah. He, no, yeah. but I I'm then it wasn't that, it was something else. Um Laura, so what's also in my book, you. The Wrath of Blonde, is uh, uh my my run in with Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty. 
And uh, I, I won't tell the whole story. It is a very great story how I was waitressing in a lipstick lesbian bar. I don't know if you know, that's a beautiful <laughs> lesbian. And I'm like the other heterosexual. And it's all women in this, this bar in West Hollywood. And at midnight, they let in Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson. And uh, Jack ended up hooking, connecting to the only heterosexual in the, in the place. Anyway, we ended up like talking until like one, two in the morning in my little car in the back and Warren Beatty keeps coming out and asking him, what are you doing? There's people inside. And Jack is like, Oh, I'm entertaining this lovely lady here. We're having a great guy. And, and I'm, and I'm an actor and I'm interviewing him. Like, so, you know, what's it like for you? What's your biggest challenge as an actor? And he said something that I, I think reflects back to Bill or any good actor. If you have people like Leonard Nimoy to work off of, if you have um, the guy from um, Boston Legal, the other man. Oh, uh, Renee, Renee, um, or is it? No, you mean, no, 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 no. Oh, no. oh gosh. Um, oh, uh, Dave Sp- David yes. Spader. David, David that's Spader. Thing, right? Yes. If, if, if you have exceptional Nimoy Spader kind of people working around you, your craft is only going to get better and better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And 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 it reflects back what Jack Nicholson said to me when I asked him, you know, what was your biggest challenge so far? And he was he had just finished filming Terms of Endearment, and he said, uh, it's one an actor can't play at the level I'm able to play." Now Jack is one of the few that can get away with saying that, and you right. just go, "Oh, okay." You know, you don't go, what an egomaniac. You just right. go, oh, oh, okay, I get it. And I asked the same question of Richard Dreyfus, who I met at Galaxy Con in October at dinner I was having with Richard Dreyfus in the green room, <laughs> which is why I go to Galaxy Con. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and and I told him what Bill had said. I'm sorry, Jack had said, all oh, these movie stars, I get them confused. I asked <laughs> what Jack had said about it. And, and and Richard said, that's an interesting response that he had. He goes, I see, I can understand that. You know, and instantly I'm imagining him in Jaws and the close encounters. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at, I can't believe I'm talking to Mr. Dreyfus. I couldn't call him Richard. And he goes, although I took a different approach. He goes, I was always intent on bringing everyone up mm. to a level where we could all work together. Interesting. Like, he saw mm. that he could bring them up. Mm-hmm. whereas Jack. Saw it as some sort of impenetrable. Mm-hmm. People are or they aren't, or yeah. right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. just a quick thing. It's James Spader. I don't know why I got why I was saying that, David right. Spader. That's well, okay. because because Daniel because well, there, but he was well. There's David Spade, and then yes. Yes. we okay. all know Spader from Spader. Stargate, and the, the his name mm-hmm. was Daniel. Yeah, so Daniel it all Jackson. like blends to blends together. Okay. It blends you know, together. Richard Dreyfus. And his, the film he was in, Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh my God. I asked him his favorite movie. He said that was it. Was it real? Oh, that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. I, I watched that film when I was a young, young teenager. And at that point in time in my life, I knew nothing of what I really wanted to do. And watching the end of that film and the joy of the music he produced for his son set my, oh my life God. on a trajectory like it and i went in the bathroom i bawled my eyes out and i said that's what i want to do mm-hmm. with my life somehow somehow. brian's our music guy and <laughs> he is our music um man. and so that his film got it. It, it inspired me and probably inspired a lot of other composers musicians and people maybe mm-hmm. all kinds of professions just to see the joy of that moment that way that film ended was just mm-hmm. beautiful but um I, I think yeah, and in the I, green room, I, Bill oh. Shatner was sitting over on one side here, and Richard was there, and mm. I was sort of hanging out with Bill and one of the organizers, and and Richard comes walking over, and they see each other, and Bill motions for Richard to sit down, and and Richard did not accept the offer to sit next to Bill, and I I think it had to do with where Bill sort of positions himself in these green rooms, and I just think it's adorable. He's out with everybody; he doesn't care, and he's always mm. on his phone is that I felt like Richard didn't want to, you know, invade his space. Like he's the king here, king of the hill. I didn't feel he was interesting. Not accepting the offer. He was just saying, no, you're, you're yeah, William Shatner. Yeah. And this is your, but that's this Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> right. I know. I know. You know what though, Laura, at, at galaxy con, I was there with my buddy, Todd and shout out to Todd and um, Richard dry. I watched Richard Dreyfus. Now, um, I did not do the autograph thing. I got the pictures with the next gen crew um, and with Bill Shatner, and um, which was pretty pr- a lot of fun. And but I watched Richard Dreyfus, and he seemed to genuinely be enjoying every interaction with the fans. 
Oh yeah. He had a smile on from the youngest to the oldest. He had what just to me looked like such a genuine smile and enjoyment of the people. It was the same way in the green room. I, I saw him and he was getting food off the table. And I, uh, I mentioned to his wife that we knew someone in common and, and, and I want to say hi. She said, Oh, just go, go, go. He's really approachable. So he's leaning over to get a piece of celery or something. And I get into just <laughs> enough of his facial view and I can get his comical and light. And he's not going to be insulted by anything. Mm-hmm. So I pull out a line from goodbye girl. And I go, I don't like the panties drying on the line. <laughs> <laughs> the best line in the movie, yeah. the best line in the he, film. He looks up. Oh, that's great. He looks up at me and he just, there's a minute. And I'm like, Oh shoot. Is he going to be? And then he goes, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, thank God. That's you know, great. I'm like, Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Laura, can I ask you a few questions or, or a question? Yeah. What was it like working with Roger Corman? Because <laughs> a kid like myself who grew up watching bad science fiction films, and he made some of the worst, but most memorable mm-hmm. B-rated films. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors would not exist if it wasn't for Roger Corman. And he created that. And Bucket of Blood and all these cheesy movies from the 1950s yeah. that... I wonder who also fostered such great directors like James Cameron, who sat at his knee Thank you. and learned everything <laughs> about movie making. So what was it like? Because I you made a couple of, uh, yes, B-rated, Corman. cheesy mm-hmm. Corman films after Star Trek. What was it like working with him? Because he really is like a new line cinema would not exist without Roger Roger Corman, who created that Concord pictures, a new line. Uh, Well, you know, when I first auditioned for wheels of fire, which I started in, which was a post apocalyptic world gone mad. And I was a headhunter. There was just like a sea of six foot blondes, you know, trying out for the part. And I go into a room and Roger's sitting there and a few of the people and I deliver my lines and, you know, I didn't have my hopes up. I didn't have my hopes up down. I didn't know. I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And he was a very, uh, like a librarian. He was a very a reserved, soft-spoken businessman, essentially, oh, because really? the way he managed oh, money, like Clint Eastwood studied him to bring in 17 films under budget. A lot of filmmakers studied him wow. because of how he could come mm-hmm. in under budget. Uh, and so it was a brief interaction there. And then I got the contract and um, my my boyfriend at the time, went to the signing and and he had all these nudity, no stipulations. And Roger was very patient with a lot of silly things that we were asking. Just a very gracious guy. Hmm. Uh, very amazing guy. Um, lesser known fact that's in my book. I'm not giving away all the secrets. You'll still have to buy right. the book. Oh, we're still reading the book. We're absolutely reading the book. So the role of the navigator of the USS Reliant was not supposed to be me initially. Um a, a very uh, tragic situation woman uh, was supposed to have that role. Uh, and her name was Lana Clarkson. Do you guys know who that is? Mm-mm. Yes. That name is familiar. No, I she, don't know. She, Lana Clarkson. Wait a minute. Well, you think of that. I've got a plug in my, my phone. My um, computer's going to die. So I'm going to do that. So Lana <laughs> Clarkson. So in my wardrobe, it said Lana. And of course, my name's Laura, and Lana also read for Wheels of Fire, the role of Stinger that I got. Uh, Lana Clarkson is the unfortunate woman that was killed by Phil Spector. I'm that's right. That now. Yeah. Oh, that's I thought so. She was shot by. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, and she was supposed to navigate the Reliant, but mm. she went home for Christmas, and I got the part. Wow. I, I don't think she knew. It, if she had known the size of the film, like they didn't even tell her she, you know, they cast her in that, you know, with me, I just oh lucked out God. right place, right time. But they had cast Lana because by then she'd done death stalker and a few other big movies where she was the star. Wow. And, yeah. And they probably were going to give her that line, but they couldn't give it to me. Cause I wasn't even in the union, even though to use me in star Trek two, they had to pay a fine to screen extras guild because I wasn't even in the Nicholas Meyer was reprimanded and told you have to get rid of Laura Banks because she's not in the union. And, um, wow. and, and they, and he paid a fine to use me. And I, I said, one day I said to Nick, I said, I'm going to talk to him when I meet him in Atlanta about this. But he, he told me, he goes, no, Laura, it's not just your look. It was your acting. And so if you're ever an extra in a movie, always be acting even in the background because yeah. when they said action, I was engaged. I was reacting. And one time we yelled, he yelled cut. Well, they don't really yell it, but he said cut. And we were in the trailer. And the first thing he said after a cut 
with Ricardo and everyone there. He said, good work, Laura. I was like, what? I was like, wow, because I was, you know, by then I was a real actress. He, you know, he he when he first thing he asked me, he goes, You are an actress, right? I go, Oh yeah. Because some extras are just professional extras. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're not mm-hmm. real actors. And Nancy Myers, Nancy Rogers, who everyone would like to meet, who was in it with me, right? The other girl in the in the in the famous photograph, she's a professional mm-hmm. actress. She doesn't want to know about any of, of these 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 inter- it's too bad. Because I can't find her. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be great if Nancy and I could show up with a couple of cons crew. Oh, that'd be good. Right. Can't, can't, I got one guy I'm talking to maybe that might come uh, from the crew or trying to find. I sort of have a location scout on about it. But, yeah, so that was Lana. It was kind of a sad story. but Wow. Oh, that is you know, it's terrible. Terrible. And she, yeah. yeah. Oh. And yeah. Phil Spector is still sitting. In, you know, he, he passed dead. away, didn't he? He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Him, him and his wigs are gone now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean Hollywood. You don't want to. It's a it's a town that will chew you up, spit you out. You know. Fortunately, I didn't get sucked into anything too horrible. I mean, in my book, I do talk about some ex- exploitation and situations that I survived. Uh, fortunately, I just I didn't get pulled into the system too too badly. Mm-hmm. And after Star Trek mm-hmm. Two, I think I had a, a bar of what I wanted to do and what my life would look like. I think it really set the pace for a lot of other elements in my life. Wow. wow. Because it was such an amazing experience. Well, Laura, we are oh. so pleased that you have survived everything and you continue to thrive. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. uh, we're looking forward to reading your book. And mm-hmm. uh, yes. for more than just the Shatner thing, Adina. Okay. I don't need this chapter. I don't need that chapter. Okay. No, I'm going to read <laughs> the whole. I'm interested in the whole book. I, I read a lot and I love to yes, read and do. I love books. Yes. It's, yes. it's a lot about comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the many, many I love different people I met along the way in the prime of the whole comedy scene and, wow. and, and, and Wheels of Fire and what it was like to shoot a movie in the Philippines and run mm-hmm. across burning bridges and be sucked into the ground by um, <laughs> small people, albinos. So I think that's the PC term for now, midgets, is small people. That's cool. Uh-huh, um, thank you. Yeah, it, it, no, it, the no, whole no, PC no. thing has put a lid on what a comic can do, unfortunately, these yeah, days. But yeah. George yeah. Carlin days are behind us, but... Yep. Oh, uh, George. Now it's been a real pleasure yes. with being all you guys. Really, Thank just a you. great party happening here. And yes. yeah. uh, and 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 trust you, you, we've enjoyed our improvisational comedy with you tonight <laughs> because our, we are unscripted and we just go with the flow, and that's what great yeah. comedy is. Yes, unscripted and going with the. Are flow. we a comedy yeah. show now? We're the, the big sci-fi be. comedy I podcast. We were. What are you guys <laughs> talking about? Right. Yeah. So next guest. So uh, top. <laughs> Yeah. So everything's unscripted except for this next bit I'm about to read. Uh, thank you oh, for ahead. being on the show, Laura. We've had a blast talking with you, and we really appreciate your time with us, truly. We wish you the best of luck in all your endeavors. Make sure you visit laurabanks.com to learn more about her and to purchase her books. Uh, also check out Amazon uh, for that as well. Check out her IMDb and search her up on Memory Alpha. She's got a really nice write-up there, the uh, Star Trek's version of Wikipedia, only much more reliable and accurate, I might add. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you <laughs> If you'd like to learn more about us here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Make sure you to follow, like, and subscribe. While you're at it, tell all your friends about this podcast and help introduce us to brand new listeners by writing a review. We hope you've had a great time this evening. Until next time, for Adina, Chris, and Steve, I'm Brian Donahue. Thank you for listening to the podcast that's not afraid to go where few have gone before. The Big Sci-Fi Podcast.